Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we ask that um, you may uh, work in us uh, the faith of Abraham, um, that you would make us uh, um, 
to live as citizens of the heavenly city. Um, and uh, that sounds so um, abstract and so kind of far off and uh, maybe not very clear. And so would you make that clear? And will you make us to be people who uh, who are deeply rooted and secure in the city which has foundations? foundations in you and from that place make us a, a bright and shining light in uh, in this city where we live and so father i pray for your holy spirit that you grant us to hear all that is true and and hearts to receive all that is true make yourself plain in jesus name amen Right. Okay, everybody, would you please turn back to that uh, first reading? We're continuing our series in the book of Genesis, and we're in Genesis uh, chapter 11. We're going to kind of dip just a little bit into the second reading, but mainly we're going to be in the first, the Tower of Babel. And uh, to begin, I want to read you a quote from H.G. Uh, Wells, uh, who's a famous uh, novelist writing um, in the first half of the 20th century. Um, and What's fascinating about this, I want you to listen to this quote, and I want you to hear his optimism. H.G. Wells is just over the moon about what humans can accomplish together in this wonderful age of technology and progress and all of these things. And I want you to listen to his optimism and see if it resonates with your level of optimism about the future. Or if it maybe sounds like a little, a little bit different from where we live. He writes this, Can we doubt that presently humanity will more than realize our boldest imaginations? Can we doubt that humanity will achieve unity and peace? Can we doubt that our children will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know? Can we doubt that we will go from strength to strength in an ever-widening circle of achievement? What humanity has done, the little triumphs of the present state, form but the prelude to things that we have yet to do. How does that strike you? Um, does that strike you as, does that, does that optimism about the future based upon humanity's accomplishments, does that resonate with you? Or does that sound wildly naive? And if it sounds a touch naive, why? Because this is something that I find a little bit confusing. So humanity has never had more power than we have right now, right? And yet, despite the fact that we are at the pinnacle of power in the history of our species, in the history of the known universe, despite that fact, um, doesn't it feel somewhat fragile? Doesn't it feel maybe not only fragile, but like humanity is, is in a difficult and maybe dangerous moment? And I find that confusing. 
Because, I mean, think about our power, technology and communication and politics. Uh, technology, um, we, you know, we, uh, we send somebody to the moon, we uh, eradicated smallpox or nearly, um, we, uh, your phone in your pocket, I mean, Alexa is like almost omniscient, which is creepy, but nevertheless powerful. And yet despite that, Despite our remarkable technological achievements, um, you know, why is it that, uh, you know, we're widely not very optimistic about the future? Uh, maybe we're not so sure that we can innovate our way out of every problem. Or think about our ability to communicate. I already mentioned the iPhone, but think about um, social media and the internet and so forth. These things are supposed to bring the world together, right? Why are we so divided? I find that confusing. We live in one of the great superpowers of the world, of all of history, and, and I think a lot of people would make a very compelling case that um, our nation's government is, and political system is one of the great achievements of history. And yet, why is there so much fear? I find that confusing. We're at the pinnacle of human power, and yet it feels fragile and maybe dangerous at this moment. Why? Now, I find that confusing, but um, what I want to show you today is that the Bible isn't confused by that. Actually, the Bible has been critiquing human power for literally thousands of years. And in this reading, we're in one of the headwaters of that critique. And, and if you read the whole Bible, and you can see this in our two readings, the Bible talks about two cities. And both of them are, in a way, you can think of it as different approaches to power. There's, on the one hand, the earthly city. That's where we're going to focus mostly today. Babel is an example of the earthly city. On the other hand, there's the city of God. And the earthly city, what we're going to be talking about today, rests upon human power. And very often, it ends up arrogant, and it ends up fragile, and it ends up violent. And the Bible continually unmasks it as a sham. And we need to look at that and wrestle with that today. That's going to be the focus. But on the other hand, the Bible also talks about the city of God. And the city of God is different in many ways. One of the key ways it's different is that it rests not upon human power, but upon the mercy of God and the justice of God and the truth of God. And in our reading today, focusing on the first one, uh, it wants to warn us about the earthly city. That's what the that's a case study. And it wants to point us, though, to the city of God. And what I want to show you is this. Here we are, we live in New York City, and we want to seek the flourishing of New York City. And what I want to argue is that the best way to seek the flourishing of New York City is to live as a citizen of another city, the city of God. And that's actually the best way to bring us close. And the grant has to be a blessing. All right. What in the world are you talking about, Jim? Thank you for asking. Come with me into that first reading. Um, when the scene opens up, you're looking out at the plain of Shinar, which is a, a, uh, an area that we would call uh, Iraq, uh, ancient Mesopotamia, uh, probably this, something like the Sumerian uh, civilization. And what you're looking at as you see this panoramic view is you're looking at a, uh, a wide area full of nomadic peoples or semi-nomadic peoples. 
Uh, and these pneumatic peoples in the plain of Shinar, uh, they, they have two, uh, two deep existential needs, and they have three remarkable resources. Uh, what are the existential needs? Well, they need two things. They need security and they need significance. Uh, why do I say that? Well, take a look at verse four. They're afraid of being dispersed over the whole world. Uh, why, are they being, why are they afraid of being dispersed? Well, uh, they have very legitimate security concerns. Uh, if you're a nomadic people, you have to worry about being attacked by other tribes. Uh, you have to worry about weather and you can't anticipate everything very well. You're constantly worried about uh, famine. You've got to move your flocks in just the right way and your flocks and your herds can be eaten by wild animals. You have legitimate security concerns and you don't want to be scattered. But on the other hand, they have a concern about significance. Verse four, they want to make a name for themselves. Now you can identify with that, right? Um, you want to be affirmed by others, don't you? Uh, you want to be admired by others? You want people to think well of you? You want to be remembered, don't you? Uh, but it is more than that because the human heart needs to know that our lives matter and that our lives mean something and that we are not a waste. We want to make a name for ourselves. And, and that's true of us today, but it was true right here at the very dawn of civilization. And so they need security and they need significance. But they also have three remarkable resources that can help them out. And these three resources might sound familiar. Technology, communication, and politics. Uh, first, technology. Take a look at verse 3. Um, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had bitumen for mortar. Now, this was a moment of uh, great technological advance. Um, this, we think this could be the time that uh, Sumer started writing. Um, so the invention of, of uh, uh, cuneiform writing is probably about this time, perhaps. And, uh, but while writing and communication is, is um, launching out both, also uh, architecture is hitting a new level. And they have this ability to make bricks, so they don't have to use, they don't have to quarry stones. And one of the things that that means is that they can build buildings that outlast a single human lifespan, and in fact goes long beyond a human lifespan. And we have uh, some buildings that that are described to, to this day are still there, um, and they can do that through this remarkable breakthrough in technology but they also have language. I already mentioned that. They could communicate really well. There's one language here, verse one, which is crucial because all human achievement is based upon the ability to communicate and therefore coordinate. That's one of the things that makes uh, our species remarkable. So they've got technology, they've got communication, but they also have a political organization. Now in this reading, it doesn't mention a political leader. The emphasis here is on the corporate nature of the project. But in the chapter that came just before this, we get a name, and the name is Nimrod. And uh, Nimrod, or Genesis describes Nimrod as one of the founders of Babel, along with some other uh, cities. And it calls him the first of the mighty men. Uh, mighty man does not, it sounds pompous, but it doesn't sound ominous <clears throat> uh, to us. But 
you, we could easily translate it um, strongman. It's a word that uh, indicates that he was a leader, suggests that he was a leader that led by uh, force and coercion and power, uh, rather than primarily by justice and by truth. And he seems to have uh, created a great deal of unity in Babel. Oftentimes, uh, uh, strongman type uh, leaders can offer uh, security and significance. Um, and that seems to have happened. And what happened is, in our passage, Babel is operating very much as a team. Let us. Let us. Let us. So, technology, bricks and architecture. Uh, communication, common language, maybe common writing. Politics, centralized leadership. And these three resources release an enormous amount of power. And so the question is, how are they going to use this power? Well... They're going to build, and they build a city, and they build a tower. The city is about security, and the tower is about significance. Why do I say that? Well, the city at this time is not a place to live in. This is not an, uh, an, a residential urban um, environment. It was mainly a place where you could make a defense. So most of the people would be living outside the city, we think, around in the surrounding areas where they're doing farming and so forth. But the city had walls, a little bit like a castle. And so you could gather inside the city and everything that, you know, kind of, especially the, those with um, high uh, status could um, take refuge within the city and so they don't have to be scattered. The city's about significance. But the tower, which is the beating heart of the city, the tower is about significance. Why do I say that? Well, I need you to back up and think about a backstory. Do you remember the Garden of Eden? Uh, we talked about this several months ago. The Garden of Eden, people forget this, the Garden of Eden is a mountain. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, Eden is a mountain. We know that because lots of rivers come out of the Garden of Eden. Um, and it's a mountain with perhaps at its base is a garden. And the point of this mountain and the point of the garden is that it's to be a place where humanity and God can live together in intimacy with one another. And humanity was meant to experience significance in that, on that mountain, in that relationship with God. Because most of us know that if you're experiencing a, a fulfilling, uh, intimate relationship with somebody that's healthy, um, the questions of significance often are not as acute. But you remember what happened, humanity rejected this relationship um, and the humanity became exiled from the garden. And, and ever since that moment in Genesis and in our lives, there's been a question that's hung over every human life. And the question is, do I matter? Does my life matter? How can I know if my life matters? And that's often the surface question, but underneath that there's a deeper question that often goes unarticulated, but the deeper question is, how can I gain access again to God? Now keep that in your mind and go back to the tower, because the tower is an artificial Eden. It's a human-manufactured surrogate for the mountain of God, for the mountain of Eden. So the tower uh, looks like a, a, a mountain. It's, it's wide at the base, it's skinny at the top, pointy, um, a little bit like a, a pyramid, but it's not like a pyramid because it's not a tomb. The point of the ziggurat, that's what this tower is called, is that it is a human device designed to connect the human world to the divine world. It's an artificial Eden. 
and here's part of the allure. Uh, when you build something, you, um, you get to patent it. When you build something, you get to own it. You get to control it. You get power over it. And so if humans can build, invent, achieve a mountain that connects humanity to the divine, then that means they get to manage that relationship. That means we get some measure of power, even over the gods, which is why the, the name Babel means in the original, the gate of the gods. There's another neat meaning of it too, but we'll get there in a minute. Now, this is a great way to make a name for yourself, right? It's a great way to feel significant. The problem is, is that it's all of it a fraud. Watch how the Lord responds. In verse 5, the Lord goes to investigate the tower. But um, in the original, it's quite clear that he has to bend down quite a lot to find this tower because it's so small. But then, he says this, Behold... There are, they are one people and they all have one language and this is the only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so he disrupts the project. Why? Is the Lord threatened? Is he a spoil sport? No, he's kind. Why do I say that? Um, at least for this reason. The Lord knows that Babel is resting upon its own human power. It's resting upon human technology and human power to communicate and politics, political organization. But the Lord also knows that none of that will be able to deliver the security and the significance that they really need. And now we need to think a little bit about power. Think with me here. Um, Robert Caro, uh, is a famous biographer, and he specializes in biographies of very powerful people. And he points this out. He says um, that power does not corrupt. He says, but what power always does do is that power reveals. It reveals what's going on beneath the surface. And his point is this. All of our deepest motivations... And all of our deepest desires and the deepest part of our inclinations and our character tends to come out so that everybody can see when we get more power. So uh, the, the, the thing that you seek most deeply will evidence itself most clearly when you have the most power. Now, keep that in your mind and go to, back to Genesis, because we have every reason to believe that Babel shared the inclination corporately that Nimrod had individually. That is to say, he was motivated by, he, he sought uh, coercion and force and violence. That was his method of leadership. And there's every reason to think that that was sown into the city so that the, as Babel got more power, their heart would be revealed, and the more they would use their power to oppress and abuse and to perpetrate violence, and that's what happens in the city and the empire that bears its name, Babylon, throughout the rest of the Bible. And in ba Babel, they could justify all of that by saying, we had legitimate security concerns. And friends, what you're looking at is one of the early critiques of what we might call tyranny and totalitarianism and corruption at a corporate level. 
And does all this sound far-fetched? Do you remember H.G. Um, Wells, his great optimism about the accomplishments of humanity? Do you know when he wrote that? Uh, right before World War II. And in World War II, all of the power that he celebrated was used to perpetrate violence on a scale the world had never seen. You see, uh, human power is a faulty foundation for security. And human power by itself can never deliver the significance that we really need. The tower is not just an artificial Eden, it's a fraudulent Eden. Because we were made to live in the garden of God and the garden of Eden. We were designed to gain our significance deeply through uh, this relationship with God. And ever since we've been kicked out of the garden and all through our exile, we're searching for significance. We're like a lost child searching for his mother. But the problem is, Babel wants to achieve significance. But we cannot achieve our way to significance any more than a child can manufacture a new mother. It just doesn't work that way. But here's the pernicious thing about achievement. Achievement is always whispering in your ears. Maybe you'll recognize this voice. Achievement is always whispering in our ears a promise. I'm going to give you the significance that you seek. Just work a little harder. Do a little bit more. Reach the next level. Build that one more thing. And when that thing happens and when you get to the next level and when you reach the next milestone, then you'll be significant. So keep on going. Keep on going. And it's like a taskmaster behind us with a whip pressing us forward saying you'll get significance when you achieve enough. You're just not there yet, so keep going. But the problem is the tower that we build is not the mountain of God. It's a mountain of exhausted despair. A lost child cannot manufacture his mother. He's got to be found. And that's exactly why the Lord stops the Babel project. He confuses the languages. The Hebrew for confused sounds an awful lot like Babel. And he does that because, not because he's cruel, but because he's kind. He wants to, uh, he wants to shatter the illusion of human power. Now, Emmanuel, does any of this sound familiar? Um, we are awash with power, are we not? Technological power, uh, power to communicate, political power, and yet we remain deeply insecure, lost in a pursuit of significance, and deeply confused by the whole thing. Uh, we are Babel. This is where we live. So what do we do? What do we do? H.G. Um, Wells, after World War II, he despaired, gave up on humanity says we were spent. And we could do that. <clears throat> we could become cynical. Uh, but that is not our path. What do we do? Especially in this city. And some people have called this city the city of a thousand babbles. What do we do? Well, like I said, a lost child cannot manufacture a mother, but a lost child can be found by her. And that's exactly what the Lord intends to do. So this is chapter 11 of Genesis. Chapter 12, we meet a guy called Abram, later called Abraham. And Abram was from the area around Babel. Uh, and he left the city. And he became scattered, a wanderer. The name Hebrew 
originally means uh, the people who have wandered here from across the river. He was in perpetual exile. And yet, he still belonged to a city. He wasn't a city of Babel. He wasn't a citizen of Babel, he, he, which means to say he did not seek his significance and his security through his own acquired human power. Rather, he was a citizen not of the earthly city, but of the city of God, which meant he sought significance and security by trust in God and his promises. And you ask, does that matter? Did it make a difference? Yes. Why? Here's, here's why this makes a great difference, friends. Um, the people that you can trust most with power are the people who do not need it to grant them security and significance. Remember, power does not corrupt in itself, but it does reveal. And if your inner life is renovated by a deep trust in God, then influence and power that you may gain in this life can become instruments for good. And Abraham was being built into that kind of a person. He was not a, ci a citizen of Babel. He was a citizen of the kingdom of God, of the city of God. Look over at the second reading, verse 10. Why did Abraham do the things that Abraham did? What is it that motivated him? Do you see verse 10? Where did he gain his significance and where did he gain his security? Verse 10, second reading, for Abraham was looking forward to the city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is God. Beginning next week, we're going to see how God reached out to Abraham and called him. And then the Lord gave Abraham a family, a miraculous family that Abraham had no power to bring forth on his own. And the Lord gave this family, each generation, security and significance. We call them the ancient people of Israel. And a long time later, God brought forth Jesus Christ, from that family and jesus christ emmanuel is the true babel he is the true tower that connects humanity to god he describes himself as a ladder upon which angels ascend and descend to heaven and to earth he is the one that can give us the security and the significance that we need and we're not going to find it anywhere else and what that means emmanuel is this Yes, we live in a time of confusion. We live in an age of Babel. And we have great power. And yet it is very fragile and it is dangerous. And this is not a time for naive optimism, nor is it a time for hardened cynicism. Neither of those are becoming a citizen of the city of God. The Lord has called us to this time in this city to seek the flourishing of our city in this time and in this season. And the best way we can seek the flourishing of New York City and of our nation and of our communities and of the world is to live as citizens of the city of God in the midst of this time. And that means we rest upon the faith of Abraham. We seek our significance and our security not up in ourselves, but in the promises that only Jesus can deliver. And as we do that, then we can come back to technology, and we can come back to communication and media, and we can come back to political engagement, and we can receive all of them as gifts from God. Power itself can be a gift from God, so long as it's not load-bearing for your security or your significance. And then, as citizens of the kingdom of God and of the city of God, we can take all the power that God gives us and we can offer it back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the source of my security and you are the source of my significance. So now, 
here's the technology that you've given me, and here's the communication opportunities that you have given me, and here's the political engagement opportunities that you have given me. Now show me how to use all of it for your glory. And as we do that, friends, we will become bright and shining lights who live or are lit with a reflected glory, the glory of Jesus Christ himself. And that's when we will become a fragrance and an aroma in our city and in our time. And we will live as living witnesses to the city whose foundation and builder is God. Amen. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.